Good morning. Today's scripture reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 to 22, found on page 1133 in the Pew Bibles. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. One in Christ. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we ask you open our minds and hearts to listen and obey as Pastor Mark speaks from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Esther, and Helen, and Shelley, and worship team. Since I nearly went headlong over the steps a bit ago. I think I might need to say a word. I haven't given an update. I don't have time for this, but since that happened, I think maybe 
it's best that I share with you um, a bit of an update. And for those of you who haven't been here and heard this news, then you'll hear it for the first time. And that is about two years ago, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease or, or a Parkinson's-like disorder. And uh, we have been having it treated since that time, obviously. And, um, and in, in the midst of, uh, in, in the Parkinson's world, we have what we call on days and off days. And the off days is when we don't do so well. And uh, today and yesterday um, happened to be one of uh, two of those off days. And uh, today is the first Sunday, so we can be thankful for that, I certainly am, is the first Sunday that, that has been an off day. And uh, so yesterday I was shaky. Um, this morning I've been feeling weak and uh, shaky. And um, I forgot that as I approached the steps. And uh, my, it's, it's like my feet dig into the ground almost and, and don't move. Uh, and that's what happened uh, there. So continue to pray for me. We're doing, we're doing okay. It still is, for the most part, um, you know, a moderate inconvenience. Um, I can still do almost all of the things that I want to do and ever did do. Um, so that's good news, um, but but it is a pr progressive disorder, and uh, w which means that there is treatment and there is uh, some remedy. Exercise, for example, seems to reverse even reverse it a bit uh, for a time, not forever, but for a time, and uh, restore some of the function that we might have had before. And so I need to do better at exercising. I know I'm not looking over here because my wife and my daughter are looking at me right now and thinking, exercise, exercise, exercise. Um, but, uh, but that's, that's kind of the update. So, um, yeah, I just turned 60 a week and a half ago and, uh, um, and, and Parkinson's and, you know, all the things that go on with life. And so, uh, when they ordain you, they don't give you a holiness pill. You have to do the work and they don't give you, you know, a, a life without, uh, trouble. In fact, the opposite is, is uh, in some sense true if we read the scriptures. So, um, so pray for us, pray for me, pray for my wife and my daughters as they try to walk this walk with me. And hopefully I don't do too much falling you know, over myself down the stairs. So thank you for that. Let me, let, me, let me pray just for a moment. Lord, There are uh, humbling moments that you bring us into that can serve as a wake-up call, that can serve as uh, a, a turning point, that can serve as grace and mercy. Uh, and Lord, we, we thank you for those. I thank you for those and, and for this one also. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to work your grace in us and that you keep us in this place of humility and contrition and hope and expectation, but not in the material sense, but in the spiritual sense, in the sense that you will always be with us. You will never forsake us nor leave us. You will do in us and through us far beyond anything we could imagine. You bless us according to your riches and glory. You continue to do that every day, all the time. Help us to be thankful uh, in this case that this is only the, f this is the first off Sunday I've had, uh, truly off Sunday. And we pray for fewer of them uh, than, 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 than uh, otherwise we'd have. And we pray that we would all walk together as one people under the banner of Jesus Christ and by his spirit. In, in his name we pray, amen. I hope that you'll keep your Bible open to Ephesians 1. Uh, we'll need it because we're going to do a bit of a review and then before we go forward here this morning. And if you could mark your place there at... Um, um, Romans 9. I know it sounds like I'm confused here. I'm not because we're going to spend 
some time in Romans 9, uh, 10, and 11. I know this is a, a ambitious in one sitting, but we're going we're gonna to try to do it. Uh, so we're going to be in Ephesians 1 in just a bit, but we'll also be in Romans 9, uh, 8, 9, and 10, uh, and 11. So uh, marking it at Romans 9 is probably a good place to be because we'll be swimming around a bit in all, three, all four of those chapters, 8, 9, 10, 11. I may, I may drop the reference to chapter 8 during our time in the ministry of God's word this morning, so I hope that helps you. This morning, uh, we are coming to the close or the culmination of our three-week mini-series, Israel, the Church, and the Whole People of God. And this morning's sermon is entitled, Fellow Citizens and Members of God's Own Household. I won't try to mislead anyone. This has been tricky and difficult terrain for me, both this week and these three or four weeks since I started preparing. Akin, as I imagine it, to landing a plane full of God's people in the dark, in the wind, and in the rain. But we're not left entirely to the elements. God's word gives us landing lights to guide us, and though the wind and the rain of our misunderstandings developed over centuries obscure our vision a bit, the Holy Spirit is with us. He is in us, and he is for us. So I'd like to begin with the central truth of our message, which is printed there for you in the inside upper left corner of your bulletins, along with some space for notes. Here it is. You can look at it right there as I read, from the very beginning to the very end. Where do I get that? Well, from before the foundation of the world that we saw in chapter... In, in chapter one of Ephesians verse four. So from the very beginning to the very end, the goal of God in Christ Jesus has been that his people be healed, be holy, be whole, and be one as we find our rest, and I love this phrase, together in Christ, together in Christ, through Christ, and with Christ, forever and ever, amen. So that's what we're going to be trying to do to be about today. From the very beginning to the very end, the goal of God in Christ Jesus has been that his people be healed, be holy, be whole, and be one as we find our rest together in Christ through Christ, and with Christ forever and ever. Amen. These last three Sundays, we've attempted to formulate a biblical Christian answer, at least a preliminary and hopefully helpful answer to the question, what is the relationship between the legitimate people of God, Israel, and the legitimate people of God, the church? Now, two weeks ago, We began looking at Ephesians 1 deliberately and specifically with both the biblical Israel and the biblical church in view. Not our conceptions of Israel or our conceptions of the church. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what the Bible teaches us both about Israel and about the church. And we found in verses 3 and 4 that both Israel and the church came into being and has been sustained because God chose for himself and he is also restoring to himself a people in Christ before the foundation of the world. We also found that God predestined us, his people, both Israel and the church, quoting here now, for adoption to himself as sons and and, We talked about this probably not being translated properly sons and daughters, as as some passages would, but probably as firstborn sons. All of Christ's children, all of God's children in Christ, rather, ought to see themselves as adoptees with the rights and privileges of firstborn sons. Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, To the praise of his glorious grace, 
with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that is, in Jesus Christ. That's verses 5 and 6 of chapter 1, Ephesians. Then last Sunday, we found that whether we belong to Israel or the church, we were, quoting here now, dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The shorthand way of putting that is to say our sin separated us from God. And that separation from God separated us from life, eternal life, which is to say we were eternally dead, spiritually dead, until God intervened for us in Christ. We also saw that in stark and stunning contrast to our contribution to this story, which is our sins and our trespasses, but God, verse, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, whether we're Israel or the church, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive, here's the phrase again, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places, not in a far, far, far away place called heaven, but in the heavenly places. The heavenlies are all around us where we can't access through the material or the fleshly but are all around us where angels tread in the heavenlies is actually what the text says in Christ Jesus. And the point of these last two Sundays is for us to see that both Israel and the church come to God ultimately in the same way. That is in Christ, through Christ, for Christ, and together with Christ. Now, for Old Testament Israel, Old Testament believers in Israel, they looked forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah who takes away the sins of the world. And all that he brought, most especially his perfect life to be sacrificed on the cross as, a, as the perfectly satisfactory substitute for us and indeed the sins of the whole world and his resurrection. They looked forward to that event and the New Testament church and Israel now look back from where we are to that event, Christ coming and giving himself up for us and being raised from the dead, by which he became what he has always been, Lord and Savior of the world. Before we continue, I, I, I feel like I should briefly address two additional questions that have come up so we can be as clear as possible in both our teaching and our understanding about how Israel and the church relate to each other. First, this question has arisen. Is the biblical Israel the same as, or is it the, or is it the modern nation state of Israel, and therefore must we agree with and or support all of modern day nation state Israel's policies? Well, no. There is not a one-for-one -one correlation between the biblical Israel and the modern nation-state of Israel. They are not one and the same, and we do not have to agree with or support without question all of Israel's policies or leadership or actions to remain biblical Christians. Now, there is strong ongoing evidence that God was involved in the establishment of the nation-state of Israel in 1947 and 48, and, and really for up to 75 years before that. Um, and that he continues to be involved in preserving of the nation state of Israel. For example, in both the 1967 and the 1973 wars, there were compelling stories of miracles, interventions by God, by leaders, by commanders, by soldiers, that resulted in the deliverance of the people of Israel from being overrun, which by rights they ought to have been. But the biblical Israel and the nation state of Israel or even the people are not the same because the biblical Israel, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament until today, is comprised of believers in God, in Christ Jesus. The biblical Israel is a believing Israel. That's an important distinction. But let me express the second question and answer them both at the same time and with the same verses from the book of Romans. 
because the second additional question is related to the first in a fundamental way. Here it is. Will every Jew or will all Israel be saved? That is, will every Jew who ever lived in the history of the world then, now, and in the future be included in Christ Jesus in the end? Same answer. No. The biblical Israel is not one and the same as the modern nation state of Israel, and no, not every Jew will be saved or all historical Israel included in Christ. We can look at just a few verses from Romans 9 and 11, which we've already heard in Shelley's and Helen's readings a bit earlier with a little cameo help from chapter 10. But first in Romans 9, if you've got your Bible, please turn there with me now. Romans 9, verses 1 through 8, we read, please listen carefully or, or, or read carefully here, Paul writing by the Holy Spirit, first five verses, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. You have to ask the question, why such strong language? Because his people were being lost. If they're going to end up okay in the end anyway, there would be no logical reason for his unceasing sorrow and anguish. Verse 3, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers and sisters, my kinfolk according to the flesh. Verse 4, they are Israelites. That's an important distinction that got lost in the NIV, but the actual term here is Israelites, speaking of individual members in the plural, individuals, because there is a distinction between Israel and the individual members of Israel. Same as if we're talking about a ball team, there's the ball team, the Panthers, and there's every individual player, and you speak of them differently depending on the context. And here, so he says, they are Israelites, the the members of Israel, And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. That's Romans 9, verses 1 to 5 from the ESV. So that's all well and good so far. If we know anything about the Old Testament, God's choosing of Israel to be his own people, and the modern-day Jews coming from them, we recognize that all these identifying truths only belong to or refer to Israel and the Jewish people. They have both been chosen and blessed by God beyond measure. But then there are verses six through eight, which read, verse six, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. Why, why, would, he, why would he ask that question? Well, It's obvious to him, and it's because what he's described in the first five verses are not true for for Israel as he knew it. And I would suggest, as we've known it. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but, quoting here now, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. That's Romans 9, verses 6 through 8 in the SV. So there are two, two very important points to be made and learned from these three verses. First of all, biologically and historically speaking, It is not the children of Ishmael who received the covenants of promise, though he too was a son of Abraham. Indeed, Ishmael was the firstborn son of Abraham, by the way. Rather, it is the children of Isaac who received the covenants of promise. Now, this point may not have a lot of relevance to our daily lives here in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, even if we're in relationship with Jewish people. But if we lived in modern-day Palestine, however, it would have a lot of relevance to our day-to-day life. 
And this does not give anyone, least of all the children or people of God, license to abuse or dismiss the grievances or the suffering or the pain of anyone, including the Arabs in Palestine. It does give us, Christians and churches, reasons for loving God's chosen people, the Jews, because God does, and doing all we can, deliberately and biblically, to bring them to the gospel of grace, or bring the gospel of grace to them. And the second point, which is from verses 6 through 8 also, is very relevant to us today and our series these three weeks. Not even all the children of Isaac were, are, or will be counted as belonging to Israel or as children of the promise, but only those who remain faithful in their allegiance to the one true and living God who sent and has been revealed in Jesus Christ, their Jewish Messiah. This is, in fact, the common pivot point for all peoples. Whether we're Jewish and the true children of the covenants and promises of God, or we're the wild, restless Gentiles after whom God, by his word and spirit, must chase us down, even here in America, and bring us into new life and sit us into a con congregation that he calls, in his word, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church. All who come to God have in the past, do today, and will in the future come to God the same way. And that is by God's sovereign grace through saving faith in Jesus Christ, or to, to, to put, it, put a, a Hebrew Jewish bent on it, Yeshua HaMashiach. This can be very helpful to us when we read seemingly contrary passages, and there are a few of them that by themselves might seem to teach us something else. For example, that all Israel, taking it, taken, if we take it as every individual Jew who ever lived, will be saved in the end. This is not what the Bible teaches, but it is a conclusion we can make if we don't get the whole Bible perspective. And it's helpful for us to remember to do our best to take that whole Bible view always, but with special care when we read, even or especially in God's Word and Scripture, superlative statements. And by that I mean all, every, none, never, always, and so on. And we read later in Romans 9, verse 27, and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons and daughters of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. There's some better news in a minute, but hold on to that for a second. For the Lord will carry out his sentence. In other words, he stands by his word always in, in impartial ways. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And a few verses later in Romans 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith? And I, I don't know if you noticed in the, in the readings, but the most important phrase in the readings, other than in Christ, is by faith. Those who come to God must and will come to God only and always by his grace through faith. And specifically by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 31. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness and did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, catch this now, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So by the time we get to Romans 11, by, ways of, by way of Romans 10, which we'll briefly look at in just a moment, we're beginning to understand that all, and by all we mean those who will be included in the true Israel and those who will be included in the true church, all will come to God only and always by his sovereign grace through a saving and sustaining faith in Jesus Christ, unless we take uh, undue credit, even the faith that we receive is from him by his Holy Spirit. None of us believes on our own. We all come to Christ by the drawing and the granting of faith by the Holy Spirit. 
So because we've read, listened, taught, and understand with insight, because of the context provided by chapters 8 through 10, when we read in Romans 11, lest you be wise in your own sight, verse 25, Romans 11, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers and sisters. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. And I want you to note it's temporary. It's still ongoing, but it's, it's temporary. That's the good news. When will it end? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. You see that? And in this way, we could also say, and then all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. According to this text, there will come a time when all Israel will be saved. And that time will be after the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, whether that means all the Jews in Israel alive at that point will be saved, I'll leave that to God's mystery. He did say, by the way, it is a mystery. However, we should look for and we should pray for a great revival of faith in Israel, a revival unlike any other that we've seen in church history, one that will result in the whole nation coming to grips, whether that's every individual or we can say that the whole nation is coming to faith and coming to grips with the gracious calling of God that they would be his people. Whether it's every individual or, or, or it's, it, it, it's, it's most or, 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 or a great number of them by which we can say all Israel, by which God says all Israel will be saved. But this should be tempered with Romans 10, verses 1 and following, a passage we haven't looked at this morning, but it, put, it does put a bit of a cap on it. And it's right in the middle of this, of this uh, um, uh, section of Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them. That is, for Israel, and perhaps even all the Jews, is that they may be saved. This expresses God's heart for sure. Paul says it expresses his heart. I think it was clear this morning it expresses Helen's heart. It should express our heart for God's people, Israel. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but according, not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Verse 4, one of the most important, I believe, verses in the whole Bible, and certainly, if not the most important, one of the top three or four or five, Verses in this conversation about how Israel and the church relate to each other. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the biblical point for us, Gentiles in the flesh, is that we ought to be deliberately engaged now in efforts to reach our brothers and sisters in Israel with the gospel. First, for the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, is first for the Jew and then, or also, for the Gentiles. For together, in Christ, we will make up the whole people of God for all eternity. Because from the very beginning to the very end, the goal of God in Christ Jesus has been that his people be healed, be holy, be whole, and be one as we find our rest together in Christ, through Christ, and with Christ forever and ever. Amen. Now, since we've done all this background work, both this morning and the last couple of Sundays, we should have just enough time to deal with our text in Ephesians 2. The obvious place to begin is verse 8 because of the therefore in verse 11. Did you see that verse, that, that therefore, verse 11, therefore, remember? Well, we, we could go back all the way to verse 1, but, but we, don't, we simply don't have time uh, for that. 
Put simply, verses 8 through 10 of chapter 2 of Ephesians teach us, as we saw last Sunday, that salvation for every human being, Jew and Gentile alike, salvation for every human being comes only and always by God's sovereign grace through faith in Jesus Christ and specifically not by works, religious or otherwise. Since we've spent a bit of time here last week, let's look at it very briefly uh, this morning. I'll basically just read it. For by grace, this is from verse 8 of chapter 2, Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, he could have put a period at the end of it and said that's enough, and, and, and that really is the statement. But thankfully, he goes on to, to explain further the negative, and this is not your own doing. I'm just going to challenge you that if free will, man's free will in the decision, the decision to believe in Christ and return to God and repent of our sins and live a more or less godly life from that point forward was our decision. I, I challenge you to read chapter 1 of Ephesians over and over and pray through it. And, and then this simple statement, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmen, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This then prepares us for the next 12 verses, which constitute the second half of chapter 2. But it also sets the context or conditions for the rest of the book of Ephesians. And though Ephesians was not, is not often read or taught that way as a treatise on the identity and unity of Christ, uh, in Christ of God's whole people, Jewish and Gentile, or at least I haven't until now, that really is what I'm learning in this, in this process, and I'm very thankful to be learning it, and I hope that the learning continues. I want us to think about something as we read these next few verses, these next two verses. It's what I call major truth from this passage number four. In order to read the book of Ephesians properly, and in order to understand the gospel of grace and our own adoption into God's own household sufficiently, we must remember. You see that verse, verse 11? Therefore, remember, and he'll say it again. Remember, and he'll say it again. Remember. We must remember that we were once, quoting here now, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I think that's the most astonishing and daunting verse in the Bible. Having no hope and with God in the world. Sounds like we need an intervention, a resurrection rather than a reformation. Verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. Remember Paul is speaking as a Jewish apostle. By Jewish apostle, I mean an Israelite as he identified himself personally several times throughout his letters, including what we read this morning. So now he's speaking specifically to the to the Gentile portion of the church at Ephesus. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, see, identifying who the Gentiles are, Gentiles in the flesh, gives further, I think, evidence that he's writing to a mixed congregation. That is, there are Jews and Gentiles in the congregation. Now he's saying, for you Gentiles, remember this, before you get all uppity about your faith in Christ and as compared to the lack of faith and the religiosity of the Jews, remember this. This is literally what he's saying to them. Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh in the flesh by hands. Remember that you are at that time separated from Christ, 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And oh, by the way, he's not just speaking to the church at Ephesus almost 2,000 years ago. He's speaking to the church at Bethesda in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Remember from where you have come. Then in the next three or four verses, 13 to 16, all reasons, real or imagined, for hostility between peoples. Now, if we really applied this, how, how, what a difference this would make in the church, as opposed, you know, let alone outside the church. Verse five, uh, or, or number five, all reasons, real or imagined, and the imagined ones are often worse than the real ones, for hostility between peoples. Beginning with the deep divisions between Jews and Gentiles. That's specifically what he's talking about here in the text. But there are many other applications to this that we can we could make. All reasons for hostility between peoples, real or imagined, beginning with the deep divisions between Jews and Gentiles at that time, as Paul wrote in probably the early 60s AD, about three, 30 years after Christ ascended back to the Father, all reasons for hostility between peoples find their decisive and ultimate end in Jesus Christ, by whom we are made one people forever. We could say a whole lot more about this. For example, how this might apply to redeemed relations between indigenous and non-indigenous Canadians. or European-ish Americans and all other Americans, namely all of the people of color. But I ain't got that kind of time, so we'll stick with the text. Look at verse 13 and following. But now in Christ, okay? So what's the but now? Well, we were without hope and we, we had no hope and without God in the world, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, speaking still to you Gentiles in the flesh, speaking to us Gentiles in the flesh, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Not by your own doing, but by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Christ himself, is our peace who has made us both, he's speaking about here, Jews and Gentiles. But it could just as easily, in, in, our, in our context, it could be just as easily indigenous and non-indigenous Christians. It could be white Americans and black Americans, white Americans and Latino Americans, white Americans and Asian Americans, white Americans, as I said before, and every other American. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new person or one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And, it's not finished yet, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. Jesus is our peace. And get this, all reasons for hostility between peoples find their decisive and ultimate end in Christ Jesus by whom we are made one people forever. This is the story of the Israelites or, or Israel and the church. Finally, let's lump the rest of Ephesians Two into this massive point of truth. It's the shortest one, actually, ironically, but it's, well, here it is. It's number six. In Christ Jesus and by his spirit, watch this now in the text. In Christ Jesus and by his spirit, 
God has built, God is building, and God will build a dwelling place for us and for himself in which perfect peace and righteousness will dwell forever. Now, before we take a brief look at these several verses, it will be helpful for us to remember Jesus' promises first to his disciples, but also to us when he said in John chapter 14, verses 1 and following, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. Verse 4, and you know the way to where I'm going. Now, I know there was an immediate question about that. Here's the answer. Jesus is the way. You don't need a roadmap. You need Jesus. And what we have in Ephesians 2 is a further working out of Jesus' promise here. So verses 17 to 21, 22, and we'll be done. And he, that is Christ, came and preached peace to you who were far off. Now remember, from our first sermon, all of the yous in Ephesians, all of them, except for two in chapter 6. Again, both of those in chapter 6 are quotations of Old Testament Scripture, so it's not even really the, the text of Ephesians, but it's a text from the Old Testament brought into. So all of, all of the other yous, every single one of them, with, the, with that, those two exceptions in chapter 6, are all plural. Every single one of them. There's not a singular, a single singular you in the whole book except for those two quotations of Old Testament Scripture in chapter 6. So he's talking about us together. When he says you, he's not talking about you as an individual, me as an individual. He's talking to us as a body. You. And he came and preached peace to y'all who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, plural you, you, all y'all, are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in him... In Christ, you also are being built. That's an ongoing work until he's finished into the future. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In Christ Jesus and by his spirit, God has built, he is building, and he will build a dwelling place for us and for himself in which perfect peace and righteousness will dwell forever. I'd like to finish this morning with another question. Last week I asked you, why are you here? I hope you've prayed about that and listened to Jesus' answer or listened for Jesus' answer. Continue to pray. He, he will let you know if you're really wanting to know. This week, as we come to a close for this mini-series, I'd like to ask you a related question, and here it is. What part of the dwelling place of God, what part of the dwelling place of God that his son and spirit are building in our time and in our place. It's all we have. We only have our place and our time. We, we don't have anybody else's place and we don't have anybody else's time. What part of the dwelling place of God that his son and spirit are building in our time and in our place has God in Christ Jesus given you, plural you, all y'all, to become and to do and to be?
What part? Verse 22 again, in Christ, all y'all also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This has been fellow citizens and members of God's own household. The last in the miniseries, Israel, the church, and the whole people of God. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we are humbled by your calling. We're humbled by your lavish love that you have lavished upon us. We are humbled that in your sovereign grace you have chosen us through no intrinsic value or reason in ourselves, but because of your love. And I pray, Lord, that as we understand more and more what it means to be your people, your whole people, Jew and Gentile alike, Israel and the church together with Christ. That you will make us that, make us more your people. We thank you for your faithfulness that has continued to be shown and has been shown most especially in Jesus at the cross, in his death, and in the power of the resurrection, and in the resurrection of, that each one of us who are in Christ experiences by that same power of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would allow us to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, and each other because we belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.